0: Well hey, welcome. So glad that you are here with us today. Again, if we haven't met before, my name is Bill, uh, and I'm the interim pastor here at Mosaic. Uh, I love Sundays. I love being able to celebrate new life with you guys. I love being able to celebrate Jesus. I love being able to celebrate what we get to do together. Uh, Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I do want to emphasize a couple things. Uh, if I can give you guys three dates to put on your calendar, take out your phones, take these three dates down. That first one, like Cindy said, can you put those groups up against Evita? Um Seriously, let that be a priority for you guys. I know it's really easy. If you're in town, if you're going to be around Labor Day weekend, uh, it's, it is one of those rhythms we like to incorporate rest, but it's also for us. It's a time that we get to model. Church is not a time and a place in a building. Church is us. It's people, Uh, And so sign up for one of our community gatherings that's happening all over the city that Sunday morning. Uh, We're going to do it starting at 10 a.m. We're going to have brunch, so you can bring a breakfast item. Uh, But what we're going to do is we're going to put that picture up on our Facebook page. So you can go to our Facebook, and then there'll be an email, and you can just say, Hey, I want to sign up for Karen Rexrode's gathering, or I want to sign up for Chris and Dina Holland. Um, If it's in a part of town that's convenient for you, uh, sign up. So that's going to be on our Facebook page. It's going to be on our Instagram Um, And make that a priority. Uh, Last time we did it, it was beautiful. It was an amazing experience. Um, Then what's really exciting is the Sunday after that, Sunday, September 10th, is going to be a really cool Sunday for us. It's basically going to, we're going to call it our here and now Sunday. There's a lot of transition that we've been through as a church. Uh, We've been in this transition season uh, and now we're really going to be able to celebrate this past year this transition season that's coming to an end, and then we get to look forward to the future and just get excited in anticipation about the future. So that Sunday is going to be all about just kind of letting you know what our heartbeat is, that Sunday kind of peeling the curtain back. Who are we? What are we about? What does it mean to be a community, a church of grace? Um, So if you know anyone that's like, man, I would love to get them connected here at Mosaic, Sunday, September 10th is going to be that day. It really is. That's going to be an exciting, exciting morning for us, just to really let you know who we are as a a church, as a community. And then that Friday, Friday, September 15th, what we're going to do is we're going to throw a party. Uh, And we're going to throw a party and we're going to celebrate together because one of those rhythms we like to incorporate is rest, but we also like to incorporate the rhythm of party. You read through? Yes. Woo-hoo. You read through the New Testament and Jesus, he is constantly resting. He is constantly retreating. He's constantly going away. But then he's constantly at dinner parties with people. He's constantly engaging in conversation, and that's one of those reasons that we like to reclaim the word party. We like to party as a church. We like to gather. We like to eat. We like to celebrate. So Friday, September 15th, we're going to do that, and then we're really going to flesh out. Some of that stuff we're talking about that Sunday, we're going to flesh out what it means to be a part of this community. It'll be a little bit more interactive. You guys can ask questions. We're going to lay out the plan a little bit. Uh, more detailed, uh, and just really let you know how you can be a part of this church, this community. Um, So those three dates, really important. Labor Day weekend, uh, September 3rd, September 10th, that Sunday, and then Friday, September 15th. Um, I think I got those dates right. I did them off the top of my head. I hope I did. But yeah, I'm excited you're here. We are in a series that we're, uh, that we've done really all summer long. We've been looking at the parables of Jesus, more specifically the parables of grace that Jesus told. Uh, And so we've called this series uh, Kingdom of Losers because Jesus, throughout all these parables, he's calling us to to not to win but to lose because it's in in our losing our life we find it when we become the least, the lowest, and not the first. And so for us, that's our desire is that we would lose our lives so we can find it. So this is our second to last week. Next week, we're going to wrap up the series. Uh, And this week, we're doing a parable that I'm sure every single person in this room, whether you've uh, been in church for a while or not, you've probably heard this story. You've heard this parable. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, It's probably a section of scripture that we preach on at least once a year here at Mosaic, if not more. Uh, I've probably heard dozens of sermons on this parable in my lifetime. Uh, it's, it's really, really popular. And the reason why it's really, really popular is because it encapsulates so much of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Uh, it encapsulates so much. Uh, and if you've been around Mosaic at all, I'm sure you could probably even write down, I know exactly what Bill's going to say today, right? I just know what he's going to say. And so today it's really going to be that refreshing Today's really going to be that reminder, because even though I've read this story so many times, it still carries so much weight and so much power. Uh, and so I know Carissa read it, um, but I want to read it for us again. But before I do that, what I really want us to think about as I read through this a second time is that is really what this story reveals to us is uh, I, I, I was watching a an interview this week with George R. R. Martin. He's the guy who wrote the books that inspired the TV show Game of Thrones. And he said, because they asked him the question, why has this TV show become so popular? And he said something that I thought was really profound. He said, the reason why it's so popular is, you don't know who is a hero and who is a villain. Because all of us have the capacity within us to be a villain, and all of us have the capacity within us to be a hero. And I feel like this story right here, it encapsulates that. That we find ourselves in the story. Because when I read this story, I think of specific moments in my life when I walked past that bleeding man on the side of the road. And I can think of those moments where I actually saw that person and I actually engaged and I actually stepped into it. Those moments where I was able to see the heroic and step into it. And those moments that as I reflect on, I'm like, man, I was the villain. I was the villain. So as we read through it, allow this to penetrate your soul. Allow yourself to personalize yourself within this story. This is what it says, starting in uh, Luke 10, verse 25. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him the question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, uh, which he's quoting Deuteronomy, which we actually talked about in the baby dedication, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is actually from the book of Leviticus. Right, Jesus told him, do this, and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by. A temple assistant or a Levite walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side of the road. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go. And do the same. So really the two questions that I want us to be able to reflect on today is two things. One is, who is the Samaritan in your life? And two, who is that person that you're walking by? So those are two questions I really want us to dive in today. Those are the two questions that I want us to be able to personally answer today. So that first one, who is the Samaritan in our life? Who is that Samaritan in your life? Because I don't know if you caught it, but this is from the NLT. It says a despised Samaritan. A despised Samaritan. Why does it say that? It says that because the Jews despised Samaritans. Uh, But if you're kind of like me, I'm one of those people that I always ask, why? Well, why? What happened? Like, why did they dislike Samaritans? Uh, And so I kind of did a little research, um, dug in, A lot this week and like anything whenever there's a people group that is despised a certain people group that one people group says they are bad and we are good it's complicated (laughs) right there's not just one simple answer like it's this Um, but actually there is some clues that we get Uh, and so really to kind of understand why the Jews dislike the Samaritans so much you kind of have to go back to the very beginning uh, so you go back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis, and God calls this man Abraham, and he says, hey, I'm going to make a nation out of your descendants. And Abraham's like, cool, okay, let's do this. So then Abraham gets birth to Isaac, Isaac gives birth to Jacob, Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, and Israel has 12 sons, who actually end up becoming the 12 tribes of Israel. So Israel and his 12 sons, they end up in Egypt because of a famine, uh, and there, they're there for hundreds of years, and they end up in slavery in Egypt. And then God calls Moses to deliver the Israelite people who are living in Egypt. He brings them out of Egypt. They end up in the wilderness and the desert for 40 years before entering the promised land. And in the promised land, they conquer the promised land or most of it. And then eventually they say, God, we want a king. And God says, No, I'm your king. And they said, No, but well, we're going to have a king anyways. So they get King Saul. And then after King Saul was King David, that same David from David and Goliath. And then after David uh, was David's son Solomon. And then when Solomon passed away, he gave the, obviously it goes down his line to his son. But then one of Solomon's top officials ended up rebelling and it split the nation into two different kingdoms. Split it into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom had Uh, the capital of Jerusalem, the northern kingdom did not have a capital because they were no longer in Jerusalem. So the northern kingdom needed a capital, and that capital became Samaria. Samaria, Samaritans, right? That northern kingdom ended up getting conquered by the Assyrians. Uh, I think the year was 722 BC. So they get conquered by the Assyrians, and most of the people get carted off to be in captivity. But... Uh, one of the war strategies back in that day was you keep the farmers around so that they can keep working the land so that you can still have some semblance of wealth. Um, so these farmers, these Israelite farmers that were left behind, they would uh, eventually intermarry with these Syrians. And then eventually, the southern kingdom gets taken over by Babylon, right? But then, when the southern kingdom gets taken over by Babylon, they come back to rebuild the temple that got destroyed. And so the northerners who were living in Samaria, who are now the Samaritans, they said, Great, you guys are back. Let's rebuild the kingdom. And this, the ones who were in captivity in Babylon said, No. Said, No. We see this in uh, the book of Ezra, I believe. And then what we find in the book of Nehemiah is as they're trying to rebuild the wall, these people who are in Samaria, these Samaritans, uh, who are Hebrew, they just intermarried with these Syrians they uh, really fought politically to fight against them, to slow them down, because they were upset, they were hurt, they were mad. Because the southerners, the ones who were in Babylon, said, you guys are no longer pure blood, you guys intermarried, you guys intermixed, so no. And then the the northerners are mad because they're like, you guys won't include us, we're not a part of this tribe anymore, uh, so we're going to fight against you now. And this is about 500 years before Jesus is on the scene. So 500 years of just this tension brewing, this this tension building, this frustration growing, right? 500 years of this happening. And then Jesus tells a story where he makes the despised Samaritans the hero. He makes the people group that the Jews hate the hero of the story, right? For all you liberals in the room, he just makes Donald Trump the hero, Right? For all you conservatives in the room, he makes Hillary Clinton the hero. Right? He makes that despised person, that person that you can't stand, he makes that person the hero of the story. So when we read this story, what we reflect on, because what they're reflecting on and what they're being challenged of is you have a false perception of this people group. That you are prejudiced against this people group. And Jesus is directly stepping into and challenging that attitude and that behavior. So I ask again, for you, who is your Samaritan? Because we have to come to the place where we all admit, every single one of us in this room, we have a Samaritan in our hearts and in our lives. And I think one of the issues, especially in our world, what we're seeing like crazy, especially after the last two weeks in our, in our nation, is the second you use a word like racism, people react really negatively against that. Because for most of us, we say, well, I'm not KKK, so I'm not racist, right? And so we act really negatively against that. But I think if we actually end up using the word prejudice, because that can have good connotation and bad connotations. So for me, I'm prejudiced i 'm prejudiced against i 'm prejudiced for my family. I will choose them over you any day of the week right if they need me i 'm gone. If they need me right here. I will drop the mic and leave right now i don 't care I, well maybe not. it depends if it 's an emergency right I am like I, I am prejudiced towards them right i 'm actually i'm also uh, i 'm also for i have a preference for and this may sound a little strange to you, but I'll explain it, Uh, for Mexican culture. And the reason why for me is I grew up in a family where I had aunts and uncles who were Mexican, I had cousins who were Mexican. I'll never forget, there was one Labor Day weekend where we all went camping as a big extended family together, and my aunt, uh, she introduced me to breakfast tacos. Any breakfast taco fans in the house? Oh, my goodness. I remember, I was a kid, I was probably nine years old, and I had this breakfast taco, and I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever eaten in my entire life. (laughs) Right? And I'll never forget, we got home, and I asked my mom, I was like, can you make breakfast tacos? And she just scrambled eggs and put it in a tortilla, and I was like, nope, not good enough, Mom. Not good enough. Uh, So I love, to this day, I love love breakfast tacos so much. Uh, But even when me... Me and Nicole, we were in the process of adoption. We were waiting to see if a mom was going to choose us. Uh, And I remember selfishly praying, God, I would love for a Mexican boy or girl to become integrated with our family. And then he gives us this beautiful boy, Manny. And I, I couldn't believe that God had actually given me that selfish prayer, that selfish desire. Um. These are things that I'm prejudiced towards, that I have a preference towards, Uh, but then when I do some honest self-reflection in my life, uh, in my present uh, place that I'm at, uh, if I look at my friend group, it is very white. If I look at the people that I eat with, the people that I talk with, the people that I'm interacting with on a regular basis, it is and so when I do some honest self-reflection in my life, I have to be honest to the point where I tell myself, this is an area in my life that I need to get better at. And then even as I was kind of thinking about this and writing down these words this week, I tried justifying it. I was like, well, I had diverse friend groups in high school. And when I lived in L.A., because L.A. is a lot more diverse than Lincoln, Nebraska, like I had some Puerto Rican friends and some black friends. And then, but isn't it funny how we, always, we try to justify it? We're afraid to step into this tension. And I could even tell with the body language of you in the room, it is, it's hard for us to feel this way. Because it makes us uncomfortable. It causes us to squirm in our seats. And it's not. But we have to come to the place where we realize that prejudice is not black and white. Racism is not black and white. It's not, I'm a racist or I'm not a racist. It's actually more of a spectrum, it's more of a spectrum. So what we have to do is we have to do the hard work of seeing where we're at on the spectrum and work towards uh, moving away from that. Because when we look at our friend groups, when we look at uh, the preferences that we have for who we hire, or, we, or the way we feel when we're in a certain part of town, or the way that, the way that we feel inside when a person, certain person sits next to us on an airplane, We have to realize that we have Samaritans in our life. We have people that Jesus is directly challenging us right here and right now. That this scripture is alive and it's breathing and it's moving in our hearts here and now today. Who is that Samaritan in your life? Uh, The second thing I really want us to step into is who is that person that you are walking by? Who is that person that you are uh, that you know you need to start fighting for, but you're just not? Um, As I was doing my research this week for for this message, I found out that Martin Luther King Jr.'s last sermon he ever gave uh, was on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, And so I decided to take a peek and to listen to it. And it was beautiful, it was so profound. And so I ended up taking about a two-minute chunk, uh, and I think his words will be stronger than mine. Um, so I want us to listen to that for the next two minutes um, to see how this can speak to our hearts and into our souls of who is that person that we need to pay attention to? Who is that person that's potentially lying on the side of the road? Because think about this. The way that technology is advancing, I think it's really hard for us because it's not just like we're walking down the road and we see someone who's hurting. It's like every time you open up Facebook, you see someone who's hurting. Like it's to the point now where it's like, I have so many people I could be helping. I don't know where to start. Um, but we can. So who do we want to fight for? Who do we want to fight for love for? Uh, but I want to listen to Dr. King's words first. Can you hit that, Savita? Savita? Really, his quotable line, which is, uh, it's not asking yourself the question, uh, what will happen to me if I help this person? Because maybe he's faking it. Maybe he's going to rob me. Or maybe the robbers are just around the corner, so when I go to help them, they're going to rob me. So instead of asking yourself the question, what's going to happen to me if I help this person, you ask yourself the question, what is going to happen to them if I don't? What is going to happen to them if I don't? And that, I think, is really the profound question that is sitting right in front of us today. That is that place that we, as followers of Jesus, we are called to step into. Uh, that is how we, as followers of Jesus, fight for love. Uh, I'm entirely out of time, so I'm going to wrap this up. Um, yeah, like Cindy kind of mentioned in the announcements, uh, I have the honor of surrounding myself with people who fight for love, who fight for people. I've been gifted with some really amazing people in my life, and a big part of that is because of our relationship with the Bay, Uh, who's a nonprofit skate park but homeless outreach as well. And a lot of times they end up connecting us to needs in our city. And I was able and I had the opportunity to be able to help them out today with a family that I've really been connected to for, for years with them. Um, and what was really kind of beautiful about that experience for me was when I put any needs out there on Mosaic, we have, a, we have a Facebook page called Mosaic Core where we kind of put needs out there. So if you're not on that page and you want to be, uh, just search Mosaic Core or someone at the connection table can get you hooked up into that. But I just, we put needs out there and people are always stepping into it. Because there's so many of you within this church, within this community, that are willing to step into a need so quickly and right away. And I love that about our church because that is the power of the church. And the story of this family is not over, right? The story of this family is there's a lot more needs in front of them, uh, and there's a lot more ways that we can continue to come alongside them and help. You know, part of it is it's financial because sometimes it's like they don't have a place to go. It's a mom. It's six kids. What are we going to do? It's like not many of us have room in our homes to be able to fit that many people. Uh, I don't think I know anyone that can fit that many people, really. Um, So it's like, okay, we need an emergency hotel. So it ends up costing us like $1,000, but that's fine, right? But imagine if this mom had no one to support her. Imagine if this mom did not have the bay. Imagine if no one looked at her, no one saw her. What happens to her and what happens to her family? They end up on the street. They end up in a homeless shelter. But what happens if one person sees them and sacrifices a little bit? uh, Then something amazing happens. Poverty is avoided. Homelessness is avoided. And then we can actually help and serve. And I think right here and right now, Martin Luther Luther King Jr.'s sermon that's 50 years old still is relevant today because I think as a society, we're still, and as a nation, we're still asking ourselves the question, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to us if we help them? Instead of us asking what is going to happen to them if we don't do something, if we don't help. So today, let today be the day that we say we are going to fight for love because i think a lot of times the church is known for being judgmental or being hypocrites let us be known for love let us be known as the people who fight for love let us be known as the people that when there is a need we step into it right away let us be the people that see with with eyes wide open what's happening in our city what the people who are constantly in need in our city and we're saying we're going to do something about that we're going to move in neighborhoods that maybe aren't as nice we're going to befriend people who aren't like us. We're going, to, we're going to actually diversify our friend group to people who maybe don't even speak English that well. Uh, but we're going to fight for this. And if you're sitting there thinking, man, I just don't have those people in my life like that, I can get you connected to people like that. And I know a lot of people that I can get you connected to people like that, right? But it's also in your context, in your work, you have people that you are connected to. See, the life... Uh, connected to Jesus isn't about serving the church. It, for you sitting in seats, it's not about you serving Mosaic's needs. It's about you realizing that Jesus is calling you to people, people that you know. And maybe they're not struggling financially. Maybe they're not struggling emotionally. Maybe they're not struggling physically. But maybe there's people that you're connected to at work, connected in your family, that really need your love right now, that need you to fight for them and to fight for love. Let that be our mantra. Let that be what we are known for as followers of Jesus. Let's pray today. Jesus, help us to fight. Help us to not be passive because your love is not passive. Your love is, it is not one that we just stand back and watch the world burn, but that we grab a fire hose and we grab everything we can to put fires out because love does. Love acts, love works. And let us, as we read the parable of the Good Samaritan, realize there is a people group or there is people groups that we in our heart, if we're honest, we judge. Or we have preconceived ideas about who they are or what their culture is. There's things that we immediately don't like about people. And so, God, I pray that you will, you will convict us today. Open our minds to those Samaritans that are in each one of our lives. That we will learn to love diversity. That we will not be colorblind, but that we will embrace different languages, different people, different cultures, because we know every knee will bow and every tongue will confess one day that you are Lord Jesus. And your prayer was that your church would be one, that no matter where we were, what culture, what background, what context we come from, but we will be one. So Jesus, I pray that we can practice that. And right here and right now, God, I pray that you will move in our hearts and you will begin to reveal people in our life that are dying on the side of the road and that we will reach out to them today we will connect with them today or if there's really a longing to say man i i want to i want to be a part of seeing your kingdom come jesus i want to see it come in the lives of people who are desperate for support or connection or community that we as your followers can learn to love that we can become that samaritan that makes time sacrifice and energy sacrifice and financial sacrifice for you and for your kingdom and for people and for our neighbors even if they're in the neighbors that burn down our house. (laughs) Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the reminder. Thank you. And let us today celebrate you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let us fight for the right thing. I think there's so many fights going on and there's so many arguments about the wrong thing. Let us, as we walk out, let's fight for love. Just fight for love. Following Jesus is as simple as that. We are always fighting for love. Just fight for love. As we go, let's open our eyes and let's see this story. Let's see us in this story as the people who don't walk past, but that see. Uh, And we act and we do. And let's do it together because you're not alone. You may feel helpless, you may feel like it's too much, but you got a couple hundred people all around here that are like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this together. Mosaic, let us as a church go uh, and enter and see a glimpse of heaven. God's kingdom come, God's will be done in this earth right here and right now as it is in heaven. All right, Mosaic, love you. Have a great week.